I want to, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and I want to share a recent poll that I found very interesting. I mean, no, modern polls are different than the way they used to be. It used to be that polls would reflect public opinion, but now it seems, particularly in election time, that polls try to shape public opinion. But I found one very interesting by the Gallup Poll Organization, and this in mid-December, here's what they found. They said frequent church attendees were the only group in America that didn't experience a mental health decline in 2020. Now think about that. That, and I mean, you go to church not because you're bored and there's nothing on television or you want to listen to me talk. You go to church because you love God. You go to church because you share community with other believers. And the product of that, according to this secular polling organization, is there was less mental health uh, decline in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't struggle. It doesn't mean we didn't get discouraged. But in the midst of this year, I mean, no, COVID disrupted everything. My wife and I were on a sabbatical for a week and had to come home because of dear old COVID. It disrupted my turkey season, and I don't like it. Uh, It just disrupts everything. You know, when you're trying to plan uh, election fraud, polls indicate half of America doesn't believe our uh, election was uh, was honest. That's a a difficult thing as we look forward. How in the world are we going to be a united nation? Many lost their jobs. I read that over 200,000 restaurants across America have closed and won't reopen. Uh, 25% of small businesses are, have closed or will close and not reopen. This has been a difficult year on many, many levels. But instead of depression and discouragement defining our lives as Christians, we're more likely to have joy. So, And our joy is not based on our circumstances, but our joy is based on God. See, let me answer very simply why we tend to have joy. It's because Jesus Christ was born as the Savior of the world. Come on, give him a hand this morning. He is worthy of our praises. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the Christmas story. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now, Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world, how many know he was a pawn in the hand of God? How many know the most powerful person in this world you don't have to be afraid of? They don't control your life. God is in control. They went to be registered in their own city, and Joseph went up from Nazareth to the city of Bethlehem. Did you know the prophet Micah? And I particularly want to speak to you if you are questioning or new to the claims of Christianity. If you don't know if Jesus is who he says he is and if the Bible is real. Fulfilled biblical prophecy is one of the most greatest rational and I would even say scientific reasons to believe the Bible. But in Micah 5 too, the town that Jesus would be born was prophesied. So this man looked ahead into history and he knew. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife who was with child, And so it was while they were there, the days completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, baby Jesus, wrapped him in swaddling cloths. This is not something, you know, that's really sweet and nice and comfy. But you imagine your rag bag at home, taking that rag bag and just tearing it in strips. Well, that was where Jesus uh, was clothed. She laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now, a manger is simply an animal trough. And if you've been around cows and sheep and, and goats, how many know they're messy and they stink? And sometimes they forget whether it's where to go to the bathroom, and it just kind of spills over into the trough. And I know that's gross, but I want to paint the picture of how Jesus came into the world. 
You see, baby Jesus was destined to change the world. And I'll tell you why. We're going to look at three things today. He came to show us God's love for us. Number two, he came to offer us the forgiveness of sin so we could have a personal relationship with God. And lastly, Jesus came to give us the promise of eternal life. Everyone in this room are, are, are one day closer to the day of our death. But how many know just because you fall off the cliff when this life is over, how many know Jesus promised that those who believe in him would live forever and evermore? Yeah. So this is what we're going to talk about today, and this is why we can have joy. And I've entitled the message, Rejoice, Our Savior is Born. Now, I want to lay a, a little foundation before I get into the meat of my message. And there were six passages in the first two chapters uh, uh, surrounding Jesus' birth that talk about joy. When you hear the word rejoice, rejoice means simply to be happy, to have joy. Now, here's the first one, Zechariah. He was John the Baptist's dad. Uh, John the Baptist, of course, was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He, he, he baptized folks. Luke chapter 1, an angel said to uh, John, or to Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you're to name him John. You're going to have great joy and gladness. In other words, they wanted a baby and couldn't have one. They're having a baby. But what else does it say? It says, many will yeah, rejoice at his birth. In other words, many will be happy. Many will have joy. Uh, Luke chapter 1, 26, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a virgin betrothed to Joseph. This was the immaculate conception. Mary didn't have intercourse with Joseph or the Holy Spirit. Somehow there was a sovereign supernatural implantation of the seed of God in her womb. The virgin's name was Mary, and listen to the angel. First thing out of his mouth, rejoice. See, when I do this, that means I want you to say what's on the screen. I know this is a lesson we learn every week, but it'll, it'll help it go quicker. We'll engage a little better. How about that? Rejoice is what, uh, what this angel said. Uh, you highly favored one. The Lord is with you. You're blessed among women. Notice Elizabeth and Mary, when they finally meet, Elizabeth, the mother of John, Mary. In Luke 1, when the sound of the, uh, your greeting came to my ears, the baby, about six months old, the baby in my womb leaped for now think about it. Not fetal material. It's not the product of conception. It's a real live human being experiencing joy when this baby heard about the Savior. Uh, Mary then sang a song of praise about Jesus. It's called the Magnificent. Luke 146, Mary said, my soul praises the Lord and my heart rejoices. I'm happy in God my Savior. Luke chapter 2, uh, the morning after Jesus was born, Shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the angel said, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We're going to come back to that. Who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah. Christ means deliverer. Christ means anointed one. It was not Jesus' name. Jesus was his common name. Christ designated who he was, the Messiah, the anointed one, the deliverer, the savior of the world. And Lord, of course, affirms his kingship. Uh, after his birth, some point in time, wise men were looking for Jesus. And in Matthew 2, they saw the star, the star of Bethlehem, which, by the way, tomorrow night... About 30 minutes after the sun sets, you're going to see the same star in the eastern sky that the shepherds saw. There's going to be a near alignment of planets, and it's this bright star. Hadn't been seen in 800 years, astronomers tell us, but that's tomorrow night. And when they saw that star, what did they do? They 
rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So here's my question. Why was there so much joy surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ? Why were people so happy? And I want to suggest to you there are three reasons that have huge implications for us. The first one is God loves us. God loves me. Anyone ever feel not too lovable? Come on, tell the truth in church. Sure, God loves us. The second is Jesus forgave our sins. Well, that may not be that big a deal. How many know if the repo man's coming to get your car and your mother-in-law comes up and pays him off, how many know that's a big deal? Your debt is forgiven. We're going to talk about that and our restored relationship with God. And perhaps the thing that gives us some of the greatest hope in this life, Jesus offers us the promise of eternal life. Let's explore it together. Let's begin first with we have joy because God loves us. I want to read in all three of these points the same passage, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the most beloved passage, I think, in the all of the Bible, and I bet you know it. Can we say it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's talk about this just a moment. Uh, Listen, first of all, just basically about the love of God. But, you know, apart from Jesus, people don't know who God is. You know, right now there are millions of Muslims that are serving in their own minds God. They're serving a God that they believe that is appeased by jihad, uh, by murdering people, by forcing them to convert, uh, violating human will. They're serving a God uh, that uh, requires works from them. They're serving a God that offers them virgins in heaven if they serve him in some fashion. Uh, But yet, apart from Jesus, people don't know who God is. An atheist is so far out, an atheist doesn't even know God exists. An agnostic is not sure. If you went back to Greek mythology and Chinese folk religion, the earth was worshipped as God. There's still many people that worship the earth. They're called animists. Uh, Hindus believe there's many gods. That's why in India today, uh, you can see cows walking down streets of poverty where people are starving. But yet the Hindus believe that these horns on this cow or on this bull are representative of of a particular god or goddess in their religion. Uh, The Old Testament, there was a god named Molech. Molech was a Canaanite god of child sacrifice. They literally built this this, uh, rock altar and they would uh, burn babies on the fire. Oh, dummy Aaron, uh, he built a golden calf. And this calf jumped out of the fire and he told Israelites, this is your God. Uh, The Egyptians worshipped the Nile River. But friends, Jesus Christ is different. Jesus is God incarnate. Which means God left heaven in the form of God the Son. And he came to this earth born of a virgin. He was not half God and half man, some hybrid, but somehow he was fully God, yet fully man. Fully God so he could live a perfect life to sacrifice for us. Fully man so he could identify with our sins. Um, Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, it's not just that Jesus has um, dark hair and olive skin and maybe 5'10", but it was when he embodied truth, his love for the sinner, his hatred for sin, 
his, uh, his adamant stand against those that were deceived by false religion. When we see Jesus, we see God. And when we look at him, and here's the, the, this main point, we see the primary nature of God, which is love. Now, I want to ask you a question. How much does God love us? You remember the scripture, John 15, Jesus himself said, Jesus said that the greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. My wife's sitting over here. Honey, would, would you die for me? Rebecca, would you? You would. How, how about Papa there? Would he, would he die for me? <laughs> he said he would pray about it. <laughs> Did you ever see the old Denzel Washington? He's my favorite actor. Did you ever see his movie, John Q? Uh, listen, it's a, it's a gut wrencher, so if you're anxious, you don't want to watch it. But, but he's got this 12-year-old kid that he just loves. And, and, and this kid is running around the bases, and uh, he passes out. And they take him to the hospital, and they find that he has an incurable heart condition, and he has to have a heart transplant. Problem is Denzel lost his job and he doesn't have insurance and it's a half a million dollars. And he sells everything he has. He does everything in his power to be able to save his son, but nothing works. So finally, when his boy is just about to die, he takes a pistol, a gun. He goes in the hospital, locks the door in the ER, uh, finds a heart surgeon and says, oh, you get this transplant or I'm going you know, to shoot you. And of course, police are surrounding the building. And as the story builds and builds, his wife is with his little boy, and she's saying, Honey, he's going to die. He's going to die. And finally, Denzel takes the heart surgeon, and he goes into the operating room, and he only had one bullet in his gun. He said, I didn't hear, come here to shoot anybody. I came here to take my own life because my heart matches his. Now, look, it's one thing, it's one thing to give somebody a kidney. That's a big deal. It's one thing to give a pint of blood. But it's another thing to give your life. And that's what Jesus did. That's what that cross reminds us of. And here's why. This is the uniqueness of Christianity in a nutshell. Our sins have separated us from God. And there's no, we can never be good enough to get back with God. But Jesus provided a way of escape. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it was sacrificial. For us, it was substitutionary for us. And that's why his love is so great. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, let me say this to you, and I, I, I hope that this speaks deeply into your heart. No matter how bad we've been, Jesus loves us. And I don't know about you, I've done some things that I know better. And I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I feel ashamed in my life. There's sometimes I don't feel worthy to pray. Sometimes I don't feel worthy to come to church. But does that mean that God doesn't love us because we mess up? Perhaps the greatest story in the Bible that Jesus told that embodies the love of God was the story of the prodigal son. And there's this dad, very rich, had two sons. And Jewish law would, would okay the fact that if you would take part of the inheritance and give it to your son while he was alive. So if you can imagine taking one of your sons, Robert, imagine if your, your son there came up to you one day and said, Dad, I'm just tired of being around you, but I want half of what you got. I want the apartments, come on. I, I, want, I want half the business. I want everything. And you said, okay. And he goes to Shreveport, 
and he's putting it on Facebook, and he cashes in every deed, every car title, every everything, and he plays one hand to blackjack, and he loses. And it's on Facebook, and you know it. You're ashamed. You're hurt. You worked your whole life for it. And then his life goes downhill. He had enough money for just a couple days. He stayed in the lodge. He had some, had some girlfriends that came around, but when he was broke, nobody wanted anything to do with him, and he decided he'd come home. But when he decided he'd come home, he was going to tell his daddy, he said, look, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Would you just hire me to be a groundskeeper? And his dad, the Bible says, when he was coming, his dad saw him. Now, I want you to hear this. When we turn our hearts back to God, God is looking at us. God is rejoicing. The Bible says this dad had compassion over this, over this boy. And when they got close, dad ran to him and put his arms around him. Come on now, you think about it. I don't care what it is, whether it's adultery, whether you had an abortion, whether you raped someone, whether you have a criminal record, whether you lied, whether you embezzled, come on, whatever it is, whether you're unfaithful to your wife, whether you turn that pornography on one more time, all of us have something that we're ashamed of. But can I tell you this? Now look, one day there's going to be a judgment. But in this day right now, God has love and mercy, and God wants to forgive instead of judge. How many can say, that makes me happy, and that makes me joyful at this time of the year? And I want to tell you this. There's absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what's going on. It says it in Romans 8.38. Paul said, I'm convinced nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing. There was a... Well, he goes on to say, listen, death can't do it, uh, life can't do it, demons can't do it, fear can't do it, worries can't do it, the power of hell can't do it, COVID can't do it, come on now, elections can't do it, nothing can separate us from the love of God. From, this world is passing away, but God's love is the constant of our lives. I'll tell you how much God loves you. There was a family in our church a number of years ago, their name was Cantu. Brother Cantu came in this church. He was our, our Spanish pastor. He became an elder. Uh, but they didn't move to Texarkana because of the beautiful weather or because of the cost of living. They moved to Texarkana because their son committed a felony and ended up in prison in New Boston. And they left their whole life. They sold their houses. They quit their jobs. All because they loved that son. And they wanted to be close to him. I want to tell you, friends, that's the kind of love that our Father has for us. And I think they had a little bit of knowledge of that in that first Christmas season. But how many know we know it today fully, and that's why we have great joy. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let's look at the second one. We have joy because Jesus forgave our sins and restored our relationship with God. Say it with me again. For God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but, that, but, to, but to save the world. So the obvious question is, what is He going to save us from? Why, why do I need a Savior? The angel told the shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, obviously, theologically and, and, and cognitively, we understand he came to save us from the consequences or the penalty of our sin. But let's look at it this way. Did you hear the, the little boy? He was four years old in South Texas that fell into the well. He's out walking with mom and dad. This is not too long ago. And he's walking with them, and he, just like children do. 
Rebecca, our, our, our little Henry is three. Imagine being one year older and just running along, and there's this well. It's 44 foot deep. I don't know how far in he fell, but he fell in that well, and his mom and dad laid on the ground, and they couldn't reach him. There was nothing they could do. This little kid is screaming, save me, save me, save me. Because at that moment, he realizes the consequences. If you told little Henry today, don't go by the pond, don't get out on the pier because you can drown, he has no concept of what it means to drown. Just like you and I have no concept of what it means to be judged for our sins. But this little boy is in this well, and all of a sudden, emergency people start coming to rescue him. And they bring in the right materials. they got to be careful so dirt doesn't fall in the hole and forever seal his destiny there. Listen, that child needed a Savior, and the emergency personnel came to deliver him from that pit. Well, I want to suggest to you the same is true of our sin. Listen, in our world today, we don't think much of sin. If I, if I look at an old TV show I was raised up in, Andy Griffith, and I look at a modern show today, I feel like I'm on a different planet because our worldview has so changed about sin. In the 60s, there was a cultural revolution that said God is dead, and the Supreme Court uh, voted God out of schools. No manger scenes at courthouses. No Ten Commandments on walls. We don't want kids praying at school. And they did their best to get rid of God and replace it with all the insanity that surrounds us today. And there seems to be there's no consequences for what the Bible calls sin. Many would even mock you if you told them there was absolute right and absolute wrong. But the Bible says there is. Let me tell you this story of how, how biblically, how it uh, uh, unfolds. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. And death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. Linnell and I have been here 30 years. Some of you are just getting downright old. What does it mean he brought death? The word death means separation. How I many know when a person dies, you pick up your loved one's hand and it falls to the ground? You try to hold them in your arms and you let go and they fall in a clump. Death is a separation from the body of the spirit or the soul. But death has deeper ramifications here in this passage. Death is a separation from God. When Adam was driven from the Garden of Eden, he was driven from the presence of a loving God. And he was forced to deal with all the junk that's out in the world. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It said, greater is God's gift of forgiveness to many through Jesus Christ. Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Now, come on, that should make you rejoice today. Come on, that should make you rejoice. Because <clears throat> as a Christian... And my sins are forgiven. Listen, friends, we may not know this today, but, 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 but Jesus saved us from the judgment of our sin. Let me tell you why forgiveness matters. If you go back and read the book of Revelation, and you read along about chapter 20, there's something called the great white throne judgment. And every person that has ever lived, every person in this room will be there. Every person in the state of Arkansas and Texas who's been here since the inception. Every person of ancient antiquity, every person who's yet to be born will stand before God on judgment day. And my friend, let me know, it only takes one sin to be a sinner. It's not just the Hitlers that will go to a literal place called hell. But it's nice people who have not been forgiven for their sin. 
Well, Jesus offers a way out. It's like the whole human race is in this deep well and we can't get out. But some of us are looking up to Jesus and say, I believe in you. Will you help me? Will you forgive me for disobeying my parents and falling into this well? I need you to pull me out. And that's what forgiveness offers. It offers us a hope that on judgment day, Jesus Christ will look at us. Come on now. And there will be no condemnation. But he will stand before us as our advocate and say, this one, John Miller, belongs to me. Robert Trumbull belongs to me. Come on. Steve Oglesby belongs to me. I'm not sure about you, but I'm just teasing. Listen, he'll love us. And this is what forgiveness is. See, it seems far away. We don't hear about it anywhere but from the Bible. But something we can relate to is having our home foreclosed. Maybe you get the house of your dreams. And you're in that house and it's perfect and everything about it is perfect. But something happens to you or your spouse and you lose your job and your source of income dries up. And that first month goes by and you call the company and they say, well, we'll help you a little bit during COVID. But along about one, month three, they're going to file paperwork for eviction. And if you can imagine, you're about to lose your beautiful home. You're going to lose everything that you've worked for, all your equity and everything in your life. And the realtor says, I'm sorry, the market's changed, I can't sell it, and you are hopeless. And then your mother-in-law comes up and says, how much does that little baby owe? And writes a check for the whole amount. Now, how many know that's going to make you happy when your debt is forgiven? So if we get happy over our debt forgiven, how many know we should jump and shout when our sins are forgiven? Come on. And no longer will we be judged by God. But he has accepted us as a son or a daughter of God. You can hold your heads up, friend. Listen, when you fall into sin, when you mess up, you can faithfully embrace 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can run to him and not run away from him. I don't know about you, friends. I think they knew a little bit about what I'm talking about in this first Christmas season. We sure know it today, and it's a cause for joy. Give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let me wrap up with a third point. We have joy because Jesus has given us the promise of eternal life. Now let me be honest with you. I'm 63. Tell your neighbor he sure doesn't look it. But I am. I think now more about the end of life than I used to. I take more supplements to help me avoid that day than I used to. I take more medicine to avoid that day than I used to. But it's a day that comes to everyone. If you're here today and if you're 16, 17 years old, you're going to live forever. If you're 30, you're going to live forever. But sooner or later in life, you begin to realize that you're but flesh. And you realize that there's absolutely nothing you can do. There's no amount of prayer you can do to stop the ultimate inevitable from happening. But one day I'm going to breathe my last because of Adam's sin. Let's go back to our passage in 1 John. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Say this with me. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, when our life on this earth is over as the Christian, the real life just begins. I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't grasp eternity. How long is eternity? If I were to tell you eternity is a... Is a is a billion trillion times, a billion trillion years plus thousands of trillions of years. That's not eternity. 
That's like one grain of sand in all the seashores of the world. I cannot understand eternity. When I was in, in, in school, my teacher took an eight and laid it on its side and made this little squirrely thing and said, this symbolizes eternity. But my brain can't grasp it because everything I know is bounded by some time-space continuum. Everything I know has a beginning and everything I know has an end. But it's not like that with God. Listen, friends, eternity is forever, but life on this earth is like a blink of the eye. Just blink your eye just real quick. That's what your life is like. I told you I'm 63. Yesterday, I remember being 10 years old, thereabouts, and it was a Christmas. I had a brother and a sister, and we fought like cats and dogs. So mom knew Christmas may be her only solution. We got up joyfully in Christmas morn in that duplex out in the country. And instead of presents under our tree, there were three bundles of switches with a red bow on them. And it's a true story now. And when we three children came out of that room, our little hearts, our little, we began to quiver. And fortunately, mom said, will you be good? And we said we'd be good. And she found some presents in the closet. Now, listen, if you ever think I have problems and I twitch or whatever I do that, you know, is not right, if I have any weirdness, this is where it started. <laughs> now, I'm just teasing you. But I was 10. And then something happened. I graduated from high school. And then I blinked again, and I joined the Navy, and I blinked, and I got out of the Navy. I thought I never would. I blinked again. I got married to Linnell. I went blink, 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 and had John, Bethany, and, and uh, Rebecca. And I blinked again, and all three of my children are graduating. Rebecca just got all A's in, in, a, in a health science degree. Physics, got an A in physics. Isn't that something? Everybody say, thank God for those Miller brains. I mean, they just, they just came through. They did the trick for her. But I just blink. I looked at Linnell the other day. I said, sure, it's been nice having Rebecca home. But now she's talking about getting an apartment. Are you with me? And you blink again. And before you know it, you're looking at the mirror. And you're looking at your grandfather. This is the way life goes. E Eternity, though, is forever. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are renewed every day. He says our present troubles are small and won't last very long. We don't look at the troubles we can see, but we fix our eyes on things that cannot be seen. This is heaven. This is eternity. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see, say it with me, will last forever. I'm talking about Jesus, the eternal kingdom of God. Let me tell you, friends, for the Christian, death is not final it is a comma and not a period. Let me tell you about a real place called heaven. Uh, Revelation 21 says this. It says, look, God's home is now among his people. And he's going to live with them. In other words, it's going to be like it was with Adam and Eve. One day, God is going to look at us. And he's going to say, Melinda, let's go take a walk. Or he might say, let's ride the horse. I don't know how it's going to be in heaven, but he'll say, come on, Danny, it's our first time to really get to talk to each other. There's going to be a communion, a fellowship with God. And listen to what else he says. He said God's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Some of us are hurting. 
Some of us are struggling over a multitude of things. Let me give you hope today. One day, friends, those tears will be wiped away. He went on to say there's going to be no more death. Some of you at Christmas will go to the cemetery. My mother goes and remembers her mother and father in a little cemetery in Senatobia, Mississippi every year. She brings a Christmas wreath and lays it there. Well, the Bible says in heaven, listen, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things, say it with me, are, come on, say it out loud, gone forever. Gone forever. And you may be living right now with difficulty, but I'll tell you, friend, you just keep on living day to day, and one day in the blink of an eye, that stuff is going to be behind you, and you and I are going to have new resurrection bodies and a real place called heaven, and it's going to be eternal. There's going to be no more dementia. There's going to be no more Alzheimer's. There's going to be no more violence in the streets of heaven. Come on, there's going to be no more heart attacks. There's going to be no more pain. The Bible says the former things will be gone forever. And I don't know about you, I bet you that brought them great joy in that first Christmas, but it sure brings me great joy today. Come on, give the Lord a really good hand today. Let me wrap up now in case we conclude the Christmas story, and I want you to kind of pretend I'm Charlie Brown, okay? There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Here's the reason. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Come on, they had joy, and so can we as we face tomorrow. Praise the Lord. Give him a big hand today. He's worthy, worthy of our praises. Why don't you stand to your feet with me, and and we want to have a a closing uh, prayer and a closing song. It's been an honor to have you today. So many great churches in America, in America, but so many great churches here in Texarkana. But before you turn on Cracker Barrel or McDonald's or whatever you do on Sunday or that pot roast, listen, it's not going to burn, don't worry. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit a moment to just speak to you. I wonder if God really spoke to you about something today. I wonder if if there was something in this message that spoke. Just bow your head just a moment. I don't know, maybe it was about the love of God. And maybe when I talked about being bad, it really brought up a lot of condemnation and shame where Satan just whips you like a puppy. Friends, right now in the presence of the Lord, just release that. Just do a symbolic thing. If you fight with shame and guilt over your sin, just throw your hands up in the air like you're throwing it to God. That's where it belongs. Maybe it's forgiveness. There was something I did as a teenage boy that I never told anyone for 20 years. And I remember the day that I received God's forgiveness. Friend, maybe it's you today. Because I want to tell you, there's no sin that's too great that God can't forgive. Maybe when we talked about a real relationship with God, maybe that sparked you. God doesn't want to just be the man upstairs. He doesn't just want to be God. He wants to be your heavenly Father. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to be aware that He's near. He wants to treat you like a child, His child. 
Or maybe it's that last one, the promise of eternal life. Maybe you fear death. It's Satan's last trump card. But fortunately, it's not high enough. God's got the ace. But maybe you fight it. Just symbolically, just throw your hands in the air and just release that to God. Say, Lord, I'm not going to be afraid of dying anymore. I'm going to look forward to my heavenly home. I'm going to look forward to eternity. I'm going to look forward. I'm going to look past the problems of this day. And see you face to face. Holy Spirit, let your presence just abide on us. Sing that song, Zach. Let's just worship the Lord together. Just worship Him. He's worthy of our praise. Give Him your worship. out to heaven like a child reaching up to dad. today with joy unspeakable Lord that there would be a happiness and a, a, a cause for rejoicing because Christ was born they're going to close with one last song and we're going to invite our prayer team to come up again I find that always at the end there's always somebody that wants to pray that wants to talk to someone with no time pressure but I want to ask you this question maybe you're here today and say pastor when you were talking about a real relationship with God something went off in your heart how many know God just doesn't want to be the man upstairs he wants to be close to us maybe you're here and when I was talking about our sin separates us from God maybe you realize something's been wrong in your life you felt this sense of, of shame and you didn't know what to do with it and you didn't know that God could forgive us I want to tell you friends God can forgive us and give us a brand new start in life I was raised in church like many of you, and I remember when I joined the Navy, I was at kind of a spiritual crossroads and didn't even know it. But I had found that the things that had made me happy for three or four years didn't do it anymore. My athletic scholarship didn't do it. My girlfriends didn't do it. When I smoked and drank, didn't do it. The successes of my life didn't do it. Looking cool didn't do it. Clothes didn't do it. Something was missing. It's like there was a bucket inside my heart. And I'd pour all that stuff in it, and it's like it had a hole in it, and it all dripped out. Well, what was missing in my life was a relationship with God. And what changed it for me was when I heard a Gideon, when I joined the Navy, he shared with a group of sailors, he gave us a little Bible, and he said this verse. He said the scripture that says, as many as received him, to those God gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. And I realized that's what was missing. I had never received Christ as my Savior. I had had religion, and I'd never been transformed in my heart. And I remember it was that very night that I did two things. I asked God to forgive me. I prayed, and then I committed my life to Christ. And I said, Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life. And I want to tell you, friends, it changed my life. 
And maybe that's what you need today. If you're here today and you feel like I'm talking right at you, if you're here today and you'd like to pray and get right with God, but you want somebody to pray for you, let us pray for you this morning. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I want to get right with God. I want to know Jesus is my Savior. Would you just lift your hand real quickly and wave at me? Let me know so we can pray for you today. Anyone say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. Come on, give him a big hand today. We're proud of this young man. Anybody else say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. Someone here, God bless you too. God bless you too. Maybe you used to walk with the Lord and you just got away. And now weeks or months or years have gone along. And in this Christmas season, you want to recommit your life to Christ. Would you wave your hand at me today? Say, I'm ready to get my life back on track with God. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Our prayer team is going to come to the front right now. I want them to come to the front. We're going to pray. You that lifted your hand, I want to encourage you to just slip out of your chair and go over to the cross. And Terry will meet you there and he'll pray with you. And whether you raised your hand or not, if you want somebody to pray for you as you get your life right with God, you come to that cross and we'll pray with you. I love you and thank you for being here today. Amen. As we close, a reminder, Christmas Eve, let's all join together as a family. Tune in at 6 o'clock for about 45 minutes on Christmas Eve. Invite your family and friends to be a part of it. And you can come Tuesday from 9 to 6 if you want to pick up your goodie bag with communion glow sticks and the candy canes and everything. But don't leave here with any kind of a burden without coming and agreeing with somebody in prayer. Or not sure if you're going to heaven and are right with God, stop by that cross and somebody will pray with you. And also if you're a guest and filled out that visitor card, stop in the foyer. they got a free gift for you when you drop that off. But as we go, there's four exits, and you can drop your offering in the buckets and, or in the walls in the back. There's offering boxes. But I want you to remember this feeling right now. Hopefully you sense the presence of the Lord and His peace because when you leave here, there's five days left till Christmas. So it's probably going to speed up, and it could get kind of hectic. But how about we pray that God's presence and peace be with us this week. Amen. Be blessed as you go.